Well, today we're going to begin a brand new series through the month of January entitled Resolution. And we're going to be talking just about what you just saw, about what it means to, number one, declare a resolution that says we want, number one, to know God uh, and to do His will. And so we're going to talk about what does that really mean, to know God intimately and to do His will in our life. I'll be honest with you, I was praying as we were kind of gearing up over the last few weeks, thinking about a new year and new opportunities and all the things that were ahead of us. And I, I just asked the Lord a simple question. I said, God, what can I preach? What can I teach as we start 2016? that will dramatically, supernaturally impact our church in the greatest way? What can I preach and what can I teach that will dramatically and supernaturally impact our church in the greatest way? And the Holy Spirit very quickly said, teach people to know me and do my will. To know me intimately and do my will. And we talk a whole lot about knowing God here at Liberty Church because that is, without a doubt, the foundation stone of Christianity. But I want to just say to you today, I believe that as we begin a brand new year together, uh, that if we will make our heart's purpose, that this year I want to know God like I've never known God. And let's just be real honest. We all, I know that in this room, there is a wide variety of Christian maturity. we got some people that are just coming to the Lord, some people that have been saved for many years. And the reality is all of us are at different phases and different places in our walk with the Lord. But the reality is today, every, every one of us, beginning with me, can know God better. And there are, without a doubt, areas in my life, I know without a doubt, there are things that I need to do this year that God's been after me to do. What about you? Have you got some things that maybe the Lord has dealt with you? God has pricked your heart. He's already told you, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to be a part of this. And for whatever reason, maybe it's fear, maybe it's intimidation, maybe what we felt like there was been a lack of time or resources, uh, we make excuses many times from doing the things God's called us to do. And I'm resolving in my heart this year that I'm going to do those things that God has called me to do. And I'm not going to shrink back, and I'm not going to move away from the thing uh, that God has purposed for my life. And I pray, my prayer is that you're going to join me in that journey and that 2016 is going to be an astounding year of miracles, signs, and wonders, and God is going to show himself strong in our lives this year. And we're going to see God do what we've never seen him do, and we're going to experience him in a mighty, mighty way. Amen? Well, let me just give you our uh, foundational scripture. As I prayed and asked the Lord what he wanted me to preach on, and he gave me, uh, the, he told me to teach on knowing and doing the will of God, he quickened this verse to me, Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. And Daniel 11 uh, is actually a prophetic chapter. It is an end time, it is a prophecy of end times, uh, and the first part of the verse actually talks about the Antichrist. The Bible says, Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he, speaking of the Antichrist, shall corrupt with flattery. Now, we're going to come back to that verse, uh, that first part of that verse at the end of the service. And then the Bible says this, But the people who know their God, y'all say that with me, who know their God, let's say it one more time, who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. The people who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. I looked that word strong up and began to study that scripture. And the word strong literally in the Hebrew means to be resolved. It means to be settled in the heart and make a resolution within your spirit that says, I'm going to do what I've set out to do. I'm going to be strong. I am going to be resolved in spirit in order to accomplish what God has called me to do. So the Bible says those who know their God, the people who know their God shall be strong. They will be resolved and they will do 
exploits. The word exploits literally means heroic acts. Heroic acts. I believe that God wants to release a courageous faith where we as a body of Christ and a body of believers begin to step up and live a courageous life of faith for the glory of God. Now, now when you think about uh, heroic acts, when I think about that, I think about, I think about the war movies I've seen. You know, when I think about the guy that goes behind the enemy line and he drags the wounded soldier out and rescues his life. I think about the firefighter who rushes into a burning building and, and pulls out the people that have been trapped. And all the different things that we think about heroic, heroic acts. But I want you to understand, every heroic act has one thing in common. Heroic actions are all connected by selfless sacrifice. When that fireman runs into that burning house, you know what he is doing? He is making a selfless sacrifice. He is sacrificing his own safety for the safety of somebody else. He's sacrificing his own well-being for the well-being of somebody else. Now, you know what? When we think about being a hero... We think about many times the applaud and the applause and the fanfare that surrounds heroes. You know, we want to be toted on the shoulders and we want to hit the winning shot and we want to score the winning touchdown and, and we want to do all those things. We want to be the hero of the day. But I want you to understand true acts of heroism are the result of selfless sacrifice, where people are willing to place a value on other people that is greater than what they would even esteem on their own life. Willing to make a sacrifice of my time, my energy, and my effort in order to see other people come to know who Jesus is. God, I believe this year, is going to create within us a courageous spirit of faith where we're going to do exploits for the glory of God. And God is going to celebrate some heroes of faith in this church because we're going to know Him and do his will. Amen. So let me give you a definition of a resolution. Webster defines a resolution this way. It is it is more than a wish. I mean, you know, we don't need wishbone, we need backbone, right? We need uh, some folks that are going to make some decision. A resolution is a firm decision to act. It is the quality of being determined or resolute. And I put in parentheses three words: to be unshakable, unwavering, unmovable. When we are resolute, when we have made a resolution, we have made a firm decision to act. This is not something I'm going to try to do. You ever talk to somebody? You ever invite somebody to church and they say, well, I'm going to try to come. What does that mean? It means I ain't coming. <laughs> you encourage somebody about reading their Bible. Well, I'm going to try to read my Bible this year. You know what that means? I ain't reading my Bible. Well, I'm going to try to get involved. You know what that means? I'm not getting involved. Because how many of you understand that when we try to do things, it really is all about a little wish? Well, I, I just kind of magically hope that somehow it all happens. And I'm going to try. But the reality is it's not what we try to do. It's actually what we resolve in our hearts to do that gets done. In Daniel chapter 1, the Bible says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. It's the story where we actually get the Daniel fast. That's where the Daniel fast was birthed into existence. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel purposes in his heart not to defile himself. What did Daniel do? Daniel made a resolution. Daniel made a firm decision that was established within him that said, you know what, I'm not going to eat the things I'm not supposed to eat. I'm not going to be defiled by the things I'm supposed to be defiled with. I'm going to live a life that is set apart for God. 
And it was because Daniel made a resolution that we're here today discussing the things of God that are revolving around Daniel chapter 11. Daniel purposed in his heart. He made a resolution that changed the course of history. And because of Daniel's resolution, Daniel was so resolved in doing what God had called him to do that when the king made it illegal to pray, you know what Daniel did? The Bible says Daniel opened his window three times a day and prayed as was his custom. Daniel was resolute. He had purposed in his heart he was going to pray. He was going to seek God. He was going to live for the Lord. He was going to set his life apart for the purposes of knowing God and doing his will. And he was not going to be moved away from what God had called him to do regardless of circumstantial pressure. Now we live in a world today where we have seen so many people cave under pressure, right? We've seen, we've seen governments cave under pressure. We've seen political parties cave under pressure. We've seen churches cave under pressure. And I want to just say to you today, God is looking for a people that will resolve in their heart, that will not operate off of a wishbone mentality, but out of the backbone of the Holy Spirit that will say, you know what, I am going to make a firm decision to act. I'm going to be determined and resolute. I'm going to be unshakable, unmovable, and I am going to be unwavering in my pursuit, number one, of knowing God. Now, I want to give you just a simple thought. Ephesians chapter 6 is probably the greatest chapter in the entire Bible on spiritual warfare. And the whole, the whole concept of spiritual warfare can be summed up really in one word. If you read Ephesians 6, the Bible says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then he goes into describing all the different pieces of the armor of God. And then he says, and then having done all, stand. You want to know the key to spiritual victory? Stand. You want to know the key to overcoming temptation? Stand. You want to know the key to experiencing what God has purposed and planned for your life? Stand. You want to know the key to an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? You've got to stand. What does that mean? I have to be resolved. There has to be a resolution in my heart that is settled within me that says, you know what, I'm going to pursue God and I'm going to know Him intimately and nothing is going to move me away from the thing that God has called me to do. See, to be resolved means that I'm unshakable, I'm unwavering, and I am unmovable. When I have made a resolution in my heart to pursue and know Him, all of a sudden there is a steadfastness in my soul that enables me to stand. Now, how many of you understand that the moment you make a decision to stand for God, all heck's going to break loose, right? I mean, all hell is going to come against your life. I mean, just a simple thing like saying, you know what, I'm going to get up 30 minutes earlier and everybody's still asleep and I'm going to get up at 5.30 in the morning and I'm going to have 30 minutes of prayer in the Word. And you'll get up at 5.30 tomorrow morning and everybody will be awake. And you're like, what are y'all doing? Well, I just couldn't sleep. Devil, right? I mean, you just knew that was the devil. Your teenager couldn't sleep at 5.30 in the morning. What's up with that? Man, every time, I mean, doesn't that happen? I'm not kidding you, right? When you make a resolution in your heart, when you settle in your heart that you're going to pursue God, that you're going to know Him, that you're going to spend time with Him, that you're going to be intimate with Him, all hell will break loose. Every disruption and distraction that can happen will come. So how do we overcome it? I have to be resolute. I have to stand. 
I have to stand. The people who know their God will be strong. They will be resolute. And they will do exploits. See, Satan knows that if he can get you to move away, just, just to move away, doesn't got to be a big adjustment, just a little adjustment. You know, just, just a little, I'm just going to, I was here, now I'm here. Not a big difference, but I moved. If the enemy can get you to move away from a place of resolution to know God, if he can get you to move away, then he can have his way in your life. If he can get you to move away from that place of intimacy with God, he can have his way in your life. And the truth is, let's be honest, all of us have had times and seasons in our lives when the devil's had his way, right? And I can look back on my life, and any time that the devil's had his way in my life, my family, my finances, my own personal heart, or, or God's personal ministry call in my life, every time I see the devil having his way, it is always because I have moved away. Moved away, number one, from that place of intimacy with the Lord. Moved away from that place of resolve that says, I want to know Him and be known by Him. I want to pursue Him, and I want to be intimate with God like never before. When I move away from that place of intimacy, the devil begins to have his way in my life, in my family, in my thoughts, in my attitude, in my actions, in my circumstances. And all of a sudden, I begin to find myself battling things I shouldn't have been battling if I would have just stayed resolute in a place of faith and persistence that says, God, I want to know you, and I want to make knowing you my priority. I want to make knowing you my priority. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain, in the Lord. The Bible commands us to be resolute, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So here's our question. So what if, what if we resolve to know God and do His will? What if that was the ultimate goal of our year? What if we made a firm decision today that says more than anything else, I want to know God and I want to do His will? What if we grasp what I believe to be one of the greatest spiritual laws that we've ever experienced, and that's what I just simply call the law of intimacy. And the law of intimacy simply says this, intimacy with God produces life. The law of intimacy says intimacy with God produces life. John chapter 6, verse 63, it's not on the screen, but you can write it down. I want to just quote it to you this morning. Jesus is speaking, and John says, John, Jesus says in John 6, 63, it is the spirit that gives life, the flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. So what if we resolved in our hearts this year not to lose weight, not to get in shape, not to quit smoking, not to get organized, not to save more money and spend less money, but what if we resolved in our hearts that this year, above all, I want to know God. And out of knowing Him, I want to do His will. 
We're going to actually spend five Sundays this month, this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to talk about what does it really mean to know God and how do you cultivate a life-giving relationship with Him. And then the last three Sundays of this month, we're going to talk about how do I know and discern and do the will of God for my life. And my prayer and my belief is at the end of this series, every person in this room is going to have a clear vision on what God's will, God's purpose, God's plan is for their life. And you're going to know how to not only know it, but discern it and do what God has called you to do. And it's all going to be because you made a commitment initially to know Him. To know Him. It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Now let's just think about for just a minute all those New Year's resolutions we saw in our little sermon bumper. That's what we call that little video. It's called a sermon bumper. And, and just think about those things. Let's think about losing weight, getting in shape, uh, saving money, spending less money, quitting smoking. All those good things. Getting organized. How many of you know all those things are good? All of them are good. But all of them in and of themselves don't produce life. They actually produce labor. Think about it. I've lost a little over 20 pounds, almost 27 pounds, and now i got to keep it off. Right? You lose weight, now you got to keep it off. Right? You get in shape, and then you got to Stay in shape, right? Because that stuff drops. Right? <laughs> We've all seen those guys that once looked like this, and now they look like this, you know, because stuff drops. Because if I get in shape, now i got to stay in shape, right? If I get organized, you know what that means? It means I'm going to have a lot of work for the rest of my life. Organization is not about going in and cleaning out your office one day. And organized life means, man, that's going to require some extra effort on my part. This is what I found out about being organized. An organized life requires extra work it's a good thing if you quit smoking now you got to worry about overeating right I mean all those things are good I mean they're all good they're all wonderful but in and of themselves apart from Christ they don't produce life they just produce more labor I lose weight, now i got to keep my weight off. I get in shape, now i got to stay in shape. I get organized, now i got to stay organized. Right? I quit smoking, now i got to make sure I don't go to something else that's even worse than smoking. All of those things are good. But the Spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. All of those things, apart from knowing Him, are useless. All of those things, apart from intimacy with God, are useless. Because the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, loses his own soul? I can quit smoking, I can get in shape, I can look like, I mean, an amazing bodybuilder, which I don't look like, but I could look like one. And if I don't know him, it profits me nothing. Now, if I know him, let me give you some good news. If you know him, I have found out that the fruit of knowing him, it'll produce a healthier life. It'll, it'll, it'll cause you to get in shape. It'll cause you to want to lose weight. It'll cause you to want to quit smoking or anything else that would defile your temple and keep you from living a life that honors Him. When you know Him, the Spirit gives life. It gives life. And the more you know Him, the more life you experience. The more you know Him, the more power you experience. See, when you know Him, intimacy produces life. What life does it produce? Well, number one, intimacy produces eternal life i got to know him. John 17, 3, I believe that scripture's up there. Jesus said this, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
Knowing God produces life, eternal life. Guess what? It also produces abundant life. It produces financial life. It produces physical life. People that know God and walk in intimacy with Him and do His will, their lives are the most healthy and fruitful and fervent in all the world because the Spirit gives life. Now, we have a tragedy in our culture today, and I just want to share this briefly with us because I know we got a lot of parents. I'm a parent. There is a cultural mentality in our, in our society today that says we've got to give our kids all these things in order for them to succeed in life. Matthew Barnett is the pastor of the Dream Center in California, and he wrote a book entitled God's Dream for Your Life. And we picked it up over the holiday season. I've been reading through it a little bit. And, and one of the things that I read that really grasped my heart is he made this statement. He said, as a pastor... He and his wife raising their children. He said, you know, the reality is, he said, is we are not the most financially prosperous people in our community. And he said, there have been seasons in our lives where I have struggled, he said, as a father, wondering, am I going to be able to give my kids everything they need to succeed in life? And he said, one day he was praying and he was really agonizing over this because he didn't feel like maybe financially he had the resources to give his kid the right education and maybe they weren't driving the right car and maybe they didn't have the right clothes. And He said, we're blessed, I mean, we're prosperous. But he said, you know what, there's a lot of people that have a whole lot more than we do. And he said, and so I was just really agonizing before the Lord and asking God, am I going to be able to give my kids what they need to succeed? And he said, the Lord asked him this question. He said, well, Matthew, are you a success? And he said, I kind of thought about my life. He said, I thought about how I lived my life. He said, me and my wife are madly in love. He said, our children, we have an awesome relationship with our kids. He said, our family genuinely loves each other. He said, every day I get to minister the, the word of God and love people and see lives change. He said, I, I wake up every morning anticipating the day that I have ahead of me because I get to live my life doing what God called me to do. And he said, we are blessed. He said, we have a wonderful home. We drive nice cars. We have, we have stuff. He said, and I, and I thought about my life. And he, said, and he said, without sounding arrogant or proud, he said, I, I went back to God. I said, yes, Lord, I am. I'm successful. By the standard of heaven, he said, God, I'm successful. And then he said, the Lord asked him this question. He said, well, what made you that way? He said, was it the car your dad gave you? Was it the clothes that you wore? Was it the education you got? What made you the success you are today? And he said, I had to honestly say, the thing that made me a success was that my mom and dad introduced me into the importance of intimacy with God. He said, I grew up knowing how important it was to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Nothing against the right car, nothing against the right clothes, nothing against the right education. All those things are important, but it's the Spirit that gives life. And if we give our kids all the things that the carnal world says they need to succeed, and we don't give them the life-giving presence of a holy God through a relationship with Jesus Christ, then we have robbed them of the potential they need to make it in life. 
Because it's not about the car or the clothes or the education or the house that you live in. At the end of the day, only life comes from Jesus. Amen. And so Jesus said, this is eternal life that you may, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So what would happen if we resolved this year, God, I want to know you. And out of knowing you, I want to do your will. Let me give you one more verse, John 15. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me. You can do nothing. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Sounds like intimacy. If you abide in me and I in you, you bear much fruit. Why? Because intimacy with God produces life. Intimacy with God produces life. There is nothing more valuable than a personal relationship with God. Not just a relationship, but a fellowship. Let me, let me, let me say it this way. When you got born again, you entered into a relationship with God. You became the son or the daughter of the Most High God. Jesus became your big brother. That's pretty awesome. And you are in relationship with God because you have been adopted into the family of the Lord. Now, how many of you understand it's been Christmas, right, and all the holiday seasons? Uh, you may have family that you're related to that you actually didn't see over the holidays. You may have family that you're related to that you actually don't talk to. Right? We all have family. Maybe it's not your close family, but maybe you got cousins or you got you got aunts and uncles that maybe you don't necessarily see, you don't necessarily talk to, and you have a quote relationship to them. You are related to them, but you don't have fellowship with them. It's not enough that we have a relationship with Christ. God wants us to have fellowship with Him. Fellowship indicates that I walk with Him and I talk with Him and I live my life with Him. That is what God is desiring out of our lives and that's what He's calling us to this year that we would live a life of resolution that says, God, this year I want to fellowship with you. I want to walk with you and talk with you and live my life with you. I want the intimacy of who you are to saturate every arena of my life. Every arena of my life. All right, so the secret. Let's look at this next thought on your outline. The secret to doing the will of God is knowing God intimately. Before you do, you have to know. Let me say that again. Before you do, you have to know. The secret to doing the will of God is knowing God intimately. This is the reason many Christians never do the will of God. They never do the will of God because they never take the time or invest the energy required to know God intimately. You can't do His will if you don't know Him. You can't do His will if you don't have a relationship with Him. Imagine me saying, Kelly, I want to do whatever it is you want me to do, but I never talk to her. It would be kind of hard to know what she wanted me to do. Well, what do you want to do tonight? Well, I don't want to talk to you, so I'll never know. The reality is there has to be a knowing before there's a doing. And here's the great thing. The doing of Christianity is the fruit of knowing God intimately. What I do flows out of my relationship with Him and knowing Him. So my Christianity is not about me jumping through hoops and doing things for God. It's about me knowing God and out of a knowing comes a doing because my life just automatically begins to reflect who He is. 
So why is it important that I know God? And I put this statement on there. You won't do what you need to do if you don't know Him because God's will requires change. So let me tell you what happens. The more you know Him, the more you'll want to be like Him. And the more that you're around Him, the more He wants to change you <laughs> to be more like Him, right? God wants us to be more like Him. And so this is what happens. You make a resolution in your heart. You make a decision that you're going to know God. And so you make some steps toward knowing Him. And we're going to talk about some practical steps next week on how you can know God intimately. And all of a sudden, you start knowing God, and you begin to build a relationship with the Lord. And then God begins to identify areas in your life that He wants to change. I've been pastor for 23 years, and you would think after 23 years of doing this stuff, I'd be okay. But guess what? I'm not okay. God is still probing in my heart. God is still perfecting the work of His Spirit in my life. And so this is what has to happen. If I don't know Him, I won't do what I need to do. And this is why. Because when God begins to deal with the issues of my heart, and I get uncomfortable. You ever got uncomfortable? When you get uncomfortable, this is what happens when we get uncomfortable. When we get uncomfortable, we move. Think about it. You wake up in the middle of the night and you're uncomfortable, so what do you do? You roll over. You move, right? Some of you are sitting in those chairs you're thinking, Pastor Keith, when are you going to get done? And you're already moving, right? You're squirming around. I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, I just look. You ever put on them jeans that you used to could wear and you pull them up and you're like, oh my God, you know, and then you're like, Got to take them things off because this ain't going to work, right? You get in the car and, and you get in there and somebody a whole lot shorter than you has been sitting in the car. and You get in there and you're all wadded up and you're like, I mean, you're having to slide the seat back and adjust it back. because you, When you and I get uncomfortable, our automatic result of being uncomfortable is we want to move. We want to move. We want to get out of that place of uncomfortability. But let me say something to you today. It is the place of being uncomfortable that God produces change. Talk to any athlete. And when they are in the gym or they're running suicides up and down the court, you ask them, how comfortable are you? Not very. Not at all. They're very uncomfortable, but you know what? Their coach knows that they have to be uncomfortable in order to get better. In order to change and grow, you have to be put in a place of uncomfortability because when God begins to probe and prod in your heart, all of a sudden we start to squirm. We start getting uncomfortable with what God is wanting to do and where God is wanting to take us. And this is where the enemy comes in. If you don't know God, Daniel eleven thirty two. 32, the people who know their God will be strong. They will be resolved. And do exploits. If you don't know God intimately, if you don't know that He loves you unconditionally, if you don't know that everything He does in your life, He does for your good, then when you get comfortable, you'll move. You'll move. So you'll be intimate, God will get picky, nosy, and begin to pry in your business. And you'll get uncomfortable, and you'll move. And you know what will happen? You'll stay right where you're at. See, because the place of change is the place of intimacy. 
And the place of intimacy sometimes is a place of uncomfortability because God gets to know you and you get to know Him in such a degree that all of a sudden you realize there has to be some things that shift in me. There have to be some attitudes that change in me. There have to be some commitments that are made in me. And I can't stay like I am and stay where I'm at. So either I have to step out of a place of intimacy with God or I have to stay in, I have to stand in that place of resolve and let God do what God wants to do in my life. And if you don't know Him, you won't stay. If you don't know Him, and as a matter of fact, let me just give you this little image today. Most Christians' life look like this. We're not going real far. We get intimate with God. God begins to do things in our life. We get uncomfortable and we move away. After a while, we realize we're miserable because we moved away and we step back into a place of intimacy with God. All of a sudden, God goes right back to that thing He was dealing with with you last year. <laughs> Ain't that amazing? You're like, didn't you forget? I mean, come on, God. And you step right back, and God begins to deal with that area again. And this is what the Lord told me. The Holy Spirit told me this this morning. He said, Keith, he said, I don't want to change you because I am despised by you. God never looks at you and says, I can't believe you look like that. God never looks at you and says, I can't believe you act like that. God, he said, I don't want to change you because I'm despised by you. And then he said this. He said, and I don't want to change you because you're a miserable person. See, most of us are actually pretty good people. I mean, I look around this room, and for the most part, we're, we're fairly good folks. We're not miserable, horrible, despicable people. God says, I don't want to change you because you disgust me, and I don't want to change you because you're a miserable, despicable person. God says, I want to change you because I love you enough because I see the potential of what I put in you. God says, I want to change you because I want to draw out of you what I've put in you. I don't want to change you because I don't love you like you are. I love you like you are. But I love you too much to leave you in that place. I love you so much that I want to draw out every good thing I've ever put in you. And there is so much living and abiding and dwelling in you. God says, I want to get in a place of intimacy because only in a place of intimacy can I work the work I want to do. And if you love me, if you know me, you'll know that I love you. And if you know that I love you, when you get uncomfortable, instead of running away, You'll just stay. Think about your marriage for a minute. You don't have to raise your hand. But I can promise you this. If you've been married for more than, I don't know, a week, uh, you've probably wanted to run away. You've probably had those thoughts. Oh, my gosh, what did I do? Why did we get married? This is the hardest thing I've ever done. I can't imagine I'm going to ever make it through this. Married people have those thoughts. Don't raise your hands. We all know we have them. Every married couple has went through those thoughts where, why did I do this? And, and I want to run away. But how many of you know that your marriage gets stronger by just simply staying? If you'll just stand in that place of uncomfortability, 
in that place of vulnerability and intimacy, all of a sudden God will begin to work all that stuff out for your good. He'll begin to perfect your heart. He'll begin to tear down those walls. He'll begin to raise up the glory that He first intended in your life. And we all know, after 25 years of marriage, we are where we are today because we have stood and I am so thankful for the uncomfortable times we've worked through as a couple because God has used it to perfect our hearts to love him love each other and love others more than we could ever have known before now let me give you one final thought I want you to see how the enemy works I told you I would come back to this Daniel eleven thirty two. Tells us, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. I read that verse and I thought, God, what in the world does that mean? How do you corrupt somebody through flattery? And now let's look at our outline. The Lord said this to me. He said, Keith, the enemy uses flattery to convince us that we're okay and that everything is going to work itself out. See, Satan uses flattery to accomplish his will, but God uses intimacy to accomplish his. Now think about flattery for a minute. What is flattery? Flattery is unmerited or unearned praise. And when somebody is flattering you, guess what they're doing? They are manipulating you in order to get you to do what they want. I mean, think about that for a minute. When people use flattery, what are they really doing? Flattery is manipulation. Flattery is manipulation. Flattery is a way of manipulating people to get them to do what you want them to do. Now let me show you how the enemy uses flattery to corrupt us. We get in a place of intimacy with God and we are standing. And we are growing. And we are uncomfortable. And all of a sudden the devil says, you know what? You're okay. You don't need to change. Man, look, look, look out. Look at old Zach. You're a whole lot better than Zach. Man, look at Trey. You're a mile ahead of him. All of a sudden, the enemy starts comparing you to other people. And he starts flattering you. Oh, you're so good. Oh, what do you mean your wife thinks you need to be a better husband? Look how you treat your, you treat your wife a whole lot better than he treats his wife. You treat your kids a whole lot better than they treat their kids. Well, you live a whole lot better than they live. Well, you, you, your words are a whole lot kinder than their words are. What do you mean you need to be kinder in your words? Oh, get over that. Come on, you're okay. You're doing really good. You're amazing. You ever hear the flattery of the enemy? He'll just begin to tell you how great you are, how wonderful you are, how you're okay, and how the problem is with everybody else. And if your wife would just act right and your kids would just act right and if your employees would just act right, they're just missing it. You're amazing. You're astounding. You're okay, and you know what? Not only are you okay, everything's going to work out anyway. Doesn't it always work out? Let me give you a clue. No, it don't. We live in a world that's not working. I don't know if you've realized that, if you've watched the news lately. Our world is not working. 
Our government's not working. Our economy is not working. Our national, the national scope of world of our lives is not working. There is chaos. There is corruption. There is moral decay. There is pornography. There is perversion. There are more, the more slaves on the planet today than at any time in history. And those slaves are sex slaves. Children being sold into sexual bondage. And it's happening in our world. You know why? Because it's not working itself out. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in the last days, men will grow worse and worse and worse. They won't get better and better and better. They'll get worse and worse and worse. So what is our hope? Here's our hope. Our hope is that we don't have to follow the pattern of the world. Our hope is that when the world's getting worse and worse, we, because of intimacy with Jesus, can get better and better and better. We can get better. Our world isn't going to work itself out. But we, through intimacy with God, can get better and better. Your marriage can get stronger. Your family unit can grow closer. Your finances can prosper greater. Your ministry can go to a new level. It can get better and better if you know Him. Let me give you a great scripture, and we're going to close with this. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 6 and verse 9. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, I have planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And then verse 9, look what he says. For we are laborers together with God. What does that mean? It simply means this. God has a part. And you have a part. God will not do your part. And you cannot do God's part. We have to work together. And if you don't do what you've been called to do, then you limit what God can do in your life. See, Paul said God gave increase to the seeds that were sowed and the seeds that were watered. Now think about this. If you're not sowing the right seed, then God can't give increase to your life. And the things that do grow will be the wrong things. See, we are laborers together with God. Everything's not going to work itself out. We have a part to play, guys. We have a part to play in what God does in our lives. You just can't do nothing and expect everything to come out like it should. You and I have got to know Him. And if we know Him, then we'll know what we need to do. And we can do our part. Whether that means praying or interceding or giving or living or loving or forgiving or whatever it is, we can do our part, but we have to know Him. Because the devil is a liar. And he'll tell you you're okay and you don't need to change. I'm not okay. I need to change. I need to change. And you do too. And if we believe the flattery of the enemy, we'll constantly step into knowing and step back when we get uncomfortable. We'll step into knowing and we'll step back when we get uncomfortable. And God will never move, but we will. But we can know Him. We can know Him. And our lives can be changed. God is not trying to accomplish His will through flattery. God is trying to accomplish His will through intimacy. He wants to know you. And He knows that when you know Him, 
His will becomes clear and your path becomes straight.